basketball game barely well it was an NBA basketball game for half and then it was a swift kick in the pants um, is the best way that I could put it and I am blaming one person for tonight's effort that the Knicks had and it is the person on the other line with me and that is Jeremy Cohen Jeremy, how do you feel being the person that I am putting the blame on for tonight's loss? Because you kind of called it uh, last night. Mea culpa, mea culpa. You know, I I, I got to take the fall. This is on me. I wasn't expecting to be an 18-point loss, but this is on me. I'm and sorry. It, I'm sorry, it, Knicks fans. Or if you're a tank enthusiast, you're welcome. <laughs> um. Well, actually, since you brought it up, do you think that there is any possibility the Suns finish with a better record than the Knicks this year? Before this game, I would have said hell no. And <laughs> at this point, like Kevin Garnett, anything is possible. I was about to, I really you, don't know. You took the words out of my mouth. Anything is possible. Um, okay, so um, the Knicks got their ass. Well, no, the Knicks didn't get their ass handed them handed to them tonight. Um, the Knicks came out and actually played pretty well for. Uh, 24 minutes they were up by seven points at the half um 66 to 59 um before we get into the disaster that was the rest of this game did i i thought their first half was like you know i thought the offense looked good and i thought the defense was like just good enough right about is that about right yeah i i really liked how they held tj warren to two points yeah no, made it good. all the more embarrassing when they let him get 24 points in the second half oh my god was it 24 Yes, it was. Oh, shit. All right, sorry. Um, yeah, so uh, they held him to two points, you were saying? Yep. Um, you know, I mean, you you can live with Booker and Aiton killing you. And if you have the lead, then by all means, that's fine. I think in a lot of ways the Knicks were just lucky in that first half. And sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. But their luck ran out really hard in the second half, specifically the third quarter where – there was just nothing redeeming about that quarter. From start to finish, it was a miserable experience. So this is one of those things that, like, you know, <laughs> so as as you know, I am a lawyer by trade. And, you know, I, so when, a little backstory. So when I was at my, I was at a personal injury firm, chased all the ambulances. It was really a lot of fun. Um, I was the low man on the totem pole. So if there was like a really shit case, it would end up on my desk. And the reason that these cases ended up on my desk is that there was something in the case that was just like you couldn't get around. There was just something about the case that was just it stunk. You know, either the person had like 11 prior lawsuits or there was no injury or, you know, they spilled the juice themselves before slipping on it in the, you know, uh, aisle 12 whatever the case may be, you can, like, I, I remember trying to, like, figure out ways to try to get around 
those things in these cases. But at the end of the day, like that shitty thing is what it is. You can't escape it. And like I could try to talk to you about like why like the Knicks were missing a bunch of players and they were like playing hard but not smart on defense. But forty one to seventeen in a third quarter against the worst team in the NBA is what it is. There is no getting around it. Like, am I missing something here, Jeremy? Tell me I'm missing something. No, you're not missing anything. I- I'm not mad. I'm embarrassed. Ooh, and I get good it. Good line. That's good. I get it. Yeah, thank you. It'll, it'll come in handy one day with parenting. Um, <laughs> I'm not upset at the fact that the Knicks played their third game in four days. Uh, I think four and six. They were missing Hardaway. They were missing Dotson. They're missing Trier. I think the biggest and thing Mitchell actually Robinson. was exactly Mitchell Robinson because a lot of the points from Phoenix came inside the paint and who lives inside the paint and is Cantor for the most part. And I, I do think that they targeted him a lot. It's not all his fault by any means. And there's no guarantee that Mitchell Robinson would have even been able to stay in the game because of um, Aiton's ability to, I guess, or just, just Phoenix can – draw fouls specifically booker i feel like robinson would have gotten into easy foul trouble as they drove to the paint but but on the other hand it's like they're so shortchanged at the rim and as a result teams can just take advantage because there was a point where the suns finished hitting a third of their threes but it's like 28 percent and they were winning by 15 and that that's just a no-no you can't do that so i'm looking at the third quarter shot chart for phoenix right now they hit um, it if ESPN's shot chart is to be judged, they hit four or five shots from downtown. Um, they took um, it looks like eight shots from like I guess you'd define the mid range, and they hit five of them. And then there's like this big blue cloud of dots underneath where the basket is, and that's that's not great. And like. I think Breen said it at one point that the Phoenix Suns were just carving up the Knicks defense. And I guess, you know, thinking big picture, you know, Fizz said after the game, you know, he was like, he's like, it's always the one quarter. And he said he needs to get back and look at the tape before he comments on it. But his, I think his, his general sentiment was that it was like there were a bunch of leaks in the dam and it wasn't like any one thing. I, like where do you where do you go from here after a quarter like that cuz i didn't get a sense that they weren't trying i just got a sense that they they just couldn't do anything right i don't I, i'm trying to i'm trying to put that third quarter defense into words and i can't yeah it slipped away with the starting lineup and then fizz put in frank and lance and of course, your first thought is, all right, well, they're going to stop the bleeding a little bit. But it continued, and it almost bled even more profusely. And at that point, I think the Knicks, they're such a young team that they don't really know how to fight as much. Uh, you know, I know it's a little unfair because they clawed their way back against Charlotte, and they've done other – especially early in the season, they did a great job of, of doing it. But I think that as um, as Alan Hahn pointed out, they're just tired. And then when you – Throw in the fact that they lost last night after playing so close. They're clearly having issues in the second half, but that's very recent because their five previous games before the Indiana game, 
they were all second half winners for the Knicks. So, yeah, I, I think it's it. You mostly just chalk it up to exhaustion, but they do get in these holes, whether it's to start the first half or the second half, and all they do is try to climb their way out, and they often just can't because they don't have the talent or the luck. I'm gonna. I'm going to try to keep coming up with different analogies for the train that goes by um, in the background of your room. And tonight, the analogy is that's uh, T.J. Warren driving to the lane. Um, he's he's on the train, and no one can stop him. Yeah, I mean, look, at, at the end of the day, the Knicks played 10 guys tonight. Of those 10 guys, I would say um, maybe one, nah, uh, one, one and a half is like a plus defender. Like, Frank Nelikina was their best defender tonight. Lance Thomas playing in his first game after knee surgery was probably his, their second best defender. And Courtney Lee playing in his, what, fifth game all year? Or fourth game, whatever the hell it was, was probably their third best defender. And then the rest were for shit. Like, I I get all that, but I, I just, I don't know. I just, there was something, I, I just, I wanted to see... Like them flip the switch, like they we've they've done it a lot this year, and I you know I don't know I, I don't want to keep talking about this because I'm just gonna drink more and and I've already had <laughs> um, half a bottle of wine and uh, half a glass of scotch so um, and I have work tomorrow. Do you have work tomorrow, Jeremy? I I do have work tomorrow. Yeah. There you go. So I'm hoping that I'm the only one of the two of us drinking drinking scotch because <laughs> I'm older and I could I could weather that storm more. Um, let's talk about one of the, well, one of the good things, the good thing about tonight, Emmanuel Moutier. Um, so yeah, what do you think of Moutier tonight? Fantastic. Although I will say this, um, Jonathan Schmilk, Schmilk, I'm, I'm probably butchering his last name. I apologize. The WFN guy, right? Correct. He came out with an article about Moutier and basically saying like, okay, well, where is a sudden increase in talent coming from and he determined it's not from the at the rim it's not the free throw line it's not behind three-point arc so where could it be and a lot of it is mid-range and fizz was talking about this during the press conference the post-game press conference he was saying like yeah you know i think that after 20 30 games or whatever we can say for moutier this is this is real so, Jonathan, I, I want to ask you, um, because personally, after Trey Burke's season last year, which really was not long at all, he was blistering from mid-range. I mean, shooting, I believe, 56%, if I recall. And a lot of it was kind of just like, oh, you know, it's just Trey Burke shooting well for mid-range, a small sample size. Emmanuel Moody is kind of doing the same thing. I mean, granted, he, he maybe is playing a little bit better and the the scoring is a little bit more proficient but i'm curious your thoughts it's like if we're putting down trey for the most part or saying it's not real last year um can we really say that for moutier this is this is the he's he's legit considering the fact that he's um not shooting nearly as well or he's not shooting incredibly better than he was before um so a couple things that i want to hit on there um, I thought Fisdale's choice of words was was very interesting. They asked him about Moutier, and this is a guy who just had his his second thirty point game in in three nights, right? And all Fisdale would say is that he's proven himself to be an NBA rotation player. Like he didn't it was like, yeah, I think you know we're seeing the guy that was drafted seventh a few years ago. He didn't say you know, yeah, this is a guy that is now you know a part of our future. 
All he said is this is an NBA rotation player. So I thought, you know, Fisdale has some interesting motivational tactics, I think. And I I, I, kind of like him um, for that. So I thought that was interesting. Now, as far as the what Moutier brings to the table, I think there's one really big difference. And it is that just in terms of stature, him versus Burke is, you know, obviously that it's not comparable. Burke is whatever he is, six feet tall, barely a hundred and I don't know, 75 pounds soaking wet. Moody is built like a linebacker. And I think he has figured out a way to use that size to his advantage, not only when he gets to the rim, but if you see him, he kind of uses that like giant ass of his, like he has like a, like there's PJ Tucker's ass in the NBA. And then like Emmanuel Moutier's ass, I'm pretty sure is like in the next tier below PJ Tucker's ass. Would you agree with that? I would. And it also makes me wonder how uh, Phil Jackson didn't draft Moutier over Porzingis because there's that whole talk (laughs) about um, Carl Anthony Towns having a big ass. Yes. And when you see someone as thick as Emmanuel Moutier, you think like, all right, well, I can see why uh, Phil loves his big asses, why he would want to draft him. We have to be thankful. And he drafted an anemic kid instead. So. <laughs> we, have to, we have to be thankful for, for Clarence Gaines for that one. And of course, as we're having this discussion about asses, all I can think of is the line from, from Heat, um, the Al Pacino <laughs> line. Please tell me you've seen Heat. The I'll Al tell you I, I've seen Heat. Oh my god. Okay. What did I tell you? You had to go out and rent some shitty movie a few weeks ago. Some, some Jennifer Love Hewitt 90s movie. Yeah, Can't Hardly Wait. Okay, that's a crappy movie. Heat, um, uh, it's the the only uh, time Al Pacino and Robert De Niro have ever been on screen together aside from whatever garbage cop movie they came out with a few years ago, which I'm not counting. Um, you need like That's a movie you need to go out and see now. Anyway, Al Pacino had a line in the movie talking about someone's ass, and it's... Um, I don't think I'm, I'm being too... too, too gracious when I say it is a top five Pacino movement movie moment on screen um anyway that just passed through my mind back to Moutier's ass it's big and he uses it to his advantage and I feel like a lot of the little mid-range looks he gets are kind of almost like a post-up because he backs these smaller guys down to a spot where he knows he could, it's like close enough where he could just kind of do that turnaround spin, like fade away. And it, I don't know, it feels more sustainable to me. Um, and plus, like, I, I would really need to look at his shot chart this year, but I feel like Burke was really living off a lot of mid mid rangers and long mid rangers. Um, and Moutier is more like, close mid-rangers and mid-mid-rangers. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, we have, you know, he's still shooting 33% from three. He shot two for six from three tonight. Listen, if Moody is going to shoot two for six from deep every night, you, like, you'll always live with that from him, with, like, with the other things he brings on offense. So, that's where I'm at. I, you know, we'll see what happens. We still, it's 30 games, or actually for Moody, it's less. It's like, whatever, 20-something games. Um, I'm hopeful. I'm more hopeful of this lasting than I was with Burke last year. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do know what you're saying in terms of how he's using his body and I think a, a really good example was when they played the Pacers and he basically got Collison to go into his ass and foul him from mid-range he hit the shot and got the and one go into his ass? 
Yeah, he he kind of. That's the best terminology you come up with here. <laughs> Go into his ass. He went into his ass. He went deep into his ass. He led an exploratory uh, mission into his ass. He probed him. Um, we. I don't. Can we even see the rails anymore? This is what happens when you lose. I, I mean, I can see the rails from my window with the train, but I can't see that. Um, no, but what Moody did was he he kind of started and stopped. Like he, I don't know if you know the play I'm talking about, but he no, started I do. to drive. I, I, I actually do know the play you're talking about. And he Sorry. went nowhere. And then Carlson just kind of went into him, and he used his big fat phats, and Carlson got the foul. And I, so I see what you're saying in terms of he's he's. He's using his body. He's becoming a smarter player. Maybe he's not a better player um, just based on talent, but he, he's using his skills that he has to up his game. So, so far this year in terms of shooting frequency, according to Cleaning the Glass, Emmanuel Moutier is taking 30, uh, sorry, 38% of his shots at the rim, uh, which is in the 80th percentile amongst all point guards in the league. So that's really good. Um, he's taking uh, 27% of his shots from deep. That's not great for a point guard, but for him, that's not bad. And then in terms of mid-rangers, it's 19% short mid-rangers um, and 17% long mid-rangers. I, I, I could kind of live with that breakdown. Um, Long term? Uh, for right now. Um, he's 22. I mean, what did we talk about last night? Kemba Walker didn't become a, a even a decent three-point shooter until he was in the league for four or five years. Sure. I don't know. Let's see. I, I, I just, you know, if you ask, if you put a gun to my head and you said some, like, good team, like a team that's probably going to make the playoffs, is offering you a second-round pick for Moutier this year, would you take it? I kind of... I would probably say no. Right really? Now. Yeah. If you're telling me I could attach Moutier to Lee or Hardaway to move their money, then that's a that's a that's a longer conversation. But um, yeah. I mean, you're you're telling me, for example, that Orlando, which currently has the 34th and 37th picks in the draft, okay. if they if they wanted Emmanuel Moutier for one of those picks, you would say no. They give me the 34th pick this year. Let's say thirty-seven. Oh God! I oh goodness! I would need to sleep on that. I would need right, to sleep the 34. on that. Thirty-fourth, I'd probably have to say yes. Interesting. So the even though it's three later, you would it's that much of a difference. I don't because uh, I mean, don't forget, Mitchell Robinson was drafted thirty-six. No, so I, you're really just one down, and Dotson was forty-fourth. No, I know forty-fifth. So, um. By the way, just as a comparison to last year while we're talking about it, um, last year frequency of shots for Trey Burke, um, 17% short mid-rangers, 37% of his shots were long mid-rangers. So literally 20% more of Burke's shots last year were from the long mid-range than Moutier's this year. So I am going to call bullshit on that comparison. Um, I think what Moutier is doing is more sustainable. All right, we've been talking about Moutier and his ass for way too long. Is is there anything else that we even need to touch on tonight? Oh, yeah, Frank. Let's talk about Frank and Knox. Let's talk about the kids. Um, let's talk about Frank first because I love Frank. Um, were you 
encouraged or discouraged by Nilakina's performance tonight? A little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. Okay, so talk about one or the other. Um, I, I'll, I'll go more pessimism, I guess, uh, which is unusual, but I'll do it. Uh, critiquing, rather. You know, I, if you're just looking strictly at the box scores, 3 of 11 is a very pedestrian night at best. Um, that being said, he had two really nice three-pointers um, that we saw, and then one Followed of those shots is also a heat check. check. <laughs> so, you know... Is he really three and ten? I, I think I'm going to go with three and ten, which three still ten. not great. Um, no, you know, again, it's the second night of a back-to-back. He did well defensively. Couple lapses here and there. You're going to see a game or a almost game high minus seventeen. But as we discussed in last podcast, where there's just it, it's ridiculous that you would say, for example, that Neil Akina and Lee are two of the best defenders tonight, and yet Frank's minus seventeen, Courtney Lee is minus sixteen. And actually, so, sorry, I should say I two things. One, I forgot to mention Vonley before is one of their good defenders. I, that's my 18. mistake. And and he was actually Vonley was minus eighteen, Frank minus seventeen, Lee minus sixteen. So yeah, oddly enough, their three best defenders arguably were uh, the the biggest minuses tonight. Go figure. Yeah. Um, yeah. So learning experience, but second game back to back, chalk it up to whatever. Um. I'm going to give you the glass half full version because I am the eternal optimist when it comes to Frank, which I know some people hate, but whatever. I have a podcast, you don't, so you got to live with it. Um, I like the fact that he was, again, decisive, aggressive, um, and it's, again, I, I, I want to draw a very like nuanced distinction. People look at some of the games he had where he like would put up shots and be like, oh, he was aggressive. I never, like, I get a different, I've gotten a different sense from Frank since he's returned from these benchings. And I feel like he always looks to drive whenever there's a, a an opportunity to do so. And I, he did, he drove several times tonight. And I thought that was good. And I feel like when he does take those those threes I, I I don't know I got a sense that he was taking those shots with confidence tonight I mean he only finished two for six which you know thirty three percent it's it, same as Moutier. um I just I got a sense that he was playing and he was on offense in particular he was playing with confidence tonight and maybe it's just me projecting my hopes and dreams onto what I'm watching on the screen. If you told me that was the case, I wouldn't be able to tell you you're lying because I have no idea. But there is, to me, a slight difference in what I'm seeing. Um, and of, also of note, he shared the court with Burke and Moutier, but I did not think he deferred to them. I thought he took command of the offense at times. And I didn't think even when he was off the ball, he waited in the corner for like his turn. I, th- I thought he was trying to do some stuff off ball to, to get himself into the play. Um, did, did you see those things too? I did. I know. I was going to tweet about this, and then just I think there's a video that came up or something. But when I saw he was surrounded by Moody and Burke, I thought, "Great, Fizz, what are you doing?" I thought we went over this before. You can't just stick Frank. Can't stick Baby in a corner. But <laughs> but no, Frank was doing enough where it seemed like he was really trying to either find his shot or stay active. He his he wasn't kind of like, "All right, well, I'll be here if you need me in, in my little corner." It was it was much more like, "Guys, I'm playing." I can handle the ball. I can be aggressive. I can shoot it. I may not make it, but I'm definitely going to try to shoot it. Let's work together here. And I was I was more impressed because 
really, if you think about it, just how far we've come in 31, 30, 29 games where he would just be the small forward who was just chilling, doing nothing. And now he's got that gleam gleam in his eye and kind of like – Kind of like you're a little intimidated, but you're not intimidated at all because, you know, it's Frank. But then he sees that and he tries to capitalize. I don't know. He's getting better at it. And the results won't show in the box score, but you can definitely see it. And and the thing that I want to implore anyone who doesn't think I'm a complete um, uh, crazy person when I talk about Frank is, is this. I think Fisdale came into this year approaching not just Frank, but approaching all these kids. Um, as this is in, this is going to be an 82 game process, and really, is at the minimum, it's going to be an 82 game process. But in more all likelihood, it's going to be a, a multi year process. And as you just said, we're we're 30 games in, or whatever it is, 31, 32 games in, um, and we've already seen seen this level of of change from him, which I think is encouraging. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing more from it. I mean, look, he played 29 minutes tonight. Um, uh, Kevin uh, did not play the most minutes on the Knicks. That would be Kevin Knox. Uh, 37 minutes. He's. Do you know he's led all rookies in minutes since December 1st? That's nuts. Yeah, I know, considering the guy who just had a bum ankle. Uh, 6 for 16 from the floor, 2 for 7 from deep. Um, uh, he had 3 of 4 from the line. I was getting really worried after that article this morning about, I know. about the free throw woes. I was getting ready to, to, to call it in and say this guy's going to be a bust. Still finished with a better free throw percentage in the game than Mikhail Bridges. <laughs> um, no, I don't want to pick on Berman. Mark, Berman, if you're listening, we love you, man. You're awesome. Just, uh, you know, you got to make the joke sometimes. Uh, he had five rebounds and 17 points. Uh, just And Fizz commented on Knox after the game, too, because he started off with 13 in the first quarter and then only had four the rest of the game. And Fizz said... You know, same thing happened last game, and they just need to find a way to continue having him be aggressive throughout the game. I guess my last question to you before we we finish up is: Is this a thing that is all on Knox, or did you see? Was your sense that uh, over the rest of the game after the first quarter, they should have been doing more to um, get him involved in the offense, or is that kind of more on him to to make himself more aggressive? I kind of want to say it's on him. He It felt like he retreated a little bit because when he only scored four points for the rest of the game, I get it, the shots aren't falling, but it just didn't seem like something was clicking after that. It kind of felt like he peaked. It was like, all right, well, I'm good with where I'm at. Let's keep going, but I don't know. I don't have to do it. And I did a good job, and we're winning, and kind of went downhill. And and you can tell because the Knicks needed Knox. They needed, his, they needed points in the second half. And he, he couldn't really give that to them. He needs to be a like for this team to win game, like especially with Hardaway out. And then, and obviously we were all joking before the game, like, "Hey, great, Hardaway's out. We get a, a night off from his horrendous shooting." The reality of the situation is, when Hardaway's out, they need Knox if they're going to have any chance in these games because he's like, you know, he's arguably their second best scorer after Moutier if, if Hardaway's going to be out. So yeah, I completely agree. Um, anything else? Anything else we got to talk about from this from this just wonderful game? Um, well, I'm just gonna look ahead and let's say look. That, at, let's look ahead, please. Let's look ahead. Um, I'm gonna look ahead and say that it does not get better, Ugh. unfortunately. Why would you? Because do that? because 
you know, this game I think is uh, is, is an exception to a point. Again, disappointing, but when you're without four high-impact players and you're playing the second night of a back-to-back, I get it. it. It makes sense that it happened. But you got the Sixers on Wednesday, which we saw what happened in the last game. I'm not super optimistic. You've got Atlanta. You've got a, Then you've got the back-to-back, the Bucks, And then you have five road games in a row on a West Coast trip. Utah, Denver, uh, Los Angeles Lakers, Portland, Golden State. And then you come home to play Indy, Philly, Washington in London, Oklahoma City. I, I, it goes on and on. It, <laughs> you mean, wait, are you saying it doesn't get better? <laughs> I'm saying it only gets so much worse. This game tonight would have been a really nice one to win because we've been like, all right, you know what? We've got a really tough schedule ahead of us. Um, let's go out there. Let's win this game and let's pat ourselves on the shoulder because right now, as crazy as it may seem, I know we, we – understand there are a lot of losses but the knicks are one in their last two four six they're one and seven in the last eight that's not great bob no no it's not no. and they could go worse than that i don't think they will i think well, they'll win one of those games but let's let's say this um when you were when we were sitting there in in mid-november and we were looking ahead at the schedule coming up um, there didn't look like there was going to be any apparent wins, and they ended up winning, you know, four out of six games. Shockingly, um, who knows? I mean, this team has surprised us a few times already this year. I here's how I want to end this, and I want to try to somehow end this on a positive note. Fisdale said in the third quarter that they failed to show mental toughness. That's, I feel like that's the type of thing that a young team can improve upon as the season goes along. Um, maybe, again, I, I'm obviously way more hopeful than I am pessimistic, but I, I I just, having watched this team like mail-in games and mail-in seasons for most of the last 20 years, I have yet to get that feeling yet this year. I feel like they are, they're trying but there's just a hurdle that they can't get over in some of these games. And I feel like, again, tonight it was mental toughness when another team was making a run in the third quarter. I'm still optimistic about where this team is headed, even this season. I think this season will end on a higher note than we're at right now. Am I insane? You could tell me I'm insane. It's fine. No, and I think the main reason is because I fully expect Porzingis to return for at least a few games. And I think that that in itself will create an emotional positive for the team where it's like, look, we're getting our best player back. We may not be great, but we also believe that with this guy, we can do some really awesome things. And I think that the Knicks really miss Trier, not necessarily his play, but the fact that he is, in my mind, the most mentally tough young player that the team has. Him or – yeah, it would have to be him or Dotson, I guess, right? Yeah, I, I get the sense with Trier though it's a it's really a chip on his shoulder and he carries himself with a lot of swag and as a result that can kind of be infectious or contagious in a certainly a positive way. So I I don't think it's a huge surprise that we've seen little fight from this team because in his absence just because I I think that's the type of player he is where he can really spark a run and that inspires confidence and before you know it you're playing well and you're getting close 
Yeah, um, I think he's going to have a role on this team going forward. I think there's a reason they wanted to lock him up for for two years. Um, it's an interesting mix of players and personalities that they have. I, 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 you could start to see a semblance of things coming together and pieces trying, like, kind of, sort of complementing each other. Um, and I, God knows, it's, you know, <laughs> it's funny to try to say that on a night like tonight, but. Um, yeah, I still think the pieces are, are there uh, for this to start to become something. All right, um, I, I know you said last night there wasn't anything you wanted to plug or promote. Um, anything anything changed tonight, or are you just uh, content to ride off into the sunset? <laughs> um, it won't be till Wednesday morning, but Andrew Claudio and I will have a Gotham Sports Network, uh, nothing but Knicks podcast up then. Awesome. Um, everybody go listen to that. And more importantly, if you are not following the – gentleman who is kind enough to join me on these post-game podcasts like you really need to do so he's a good follow he puts great film out there you can follow him on twitter at the cohen cidence c-o-h-e-n-c-i-d-e-n-c-e very clever there jeremy clever boy thank you um yeah no he's a great follow and um if you're a knicks fan um you will you will not regret that so yeah um thanks jeremy for joining me to help me i feel like this was healthy i got out a lot of like angst uh that built up tonight so this was good i feel you got out whatever the scotch couldn't the scotch gets out a lot i gotta say the scotch the fine people at johnny walker um which is that an american it's american company right johnny walker believe so yeah yeah, I want. I should. You know, maybe that's. My wife always asks me what I want for like a Christmas present or a birthday present. Maybe I'll ask her one day to um, buy me a trip to the Johnny Walker like distillery or whatever it is. Um, have you ever been to a whiskey dis- or a Scotch distillery? Yeah, when I was in Scotland, I went to uh, the famous Grouse. That was a really awesome experience. That sounds like something that um, I should know what it is, but I, I don't. It's uh, <laughs> I mean it's it's Scottish whiskey. It's okay, but it was still an, a nice experience to go to, and I was with actual Scottish people, so it felt like a very um, very local thing to do, even if it was maybe a little bit more commercial than I thought. I highly recommend distilleries. They're a lot of fun. Totally worth it. Also, if anyone from Johnny Walker's listening, we love your product. You should sponsor us. You should send us to your factory, to your distillery. Send us free booze. Well, I, I doubt that they are listening because, uh, <laughs> unlike what we both thought, they are indeed <laughs> in Scotland, um, according to Wikipedia, which is never wrong. I mean, well, it says they were originated in East Ayrshire. Is that a word? Ayrshire? A-Y-R? Shire? Um, whatever the hell that Ayrshire. is. Ayrshire. 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 Look Ayrshire. at you pulling that out. I don't, I don't know. I really have no idea. I'm just saying it. No, it, it, it sounds good. Um, yeah, so if listen, if there's someone in Scotland listening to this podcast right now and you even like live near the Johnny Walker distillery, hit me up on Twitter and um, you know we'll see if we can work something out. Maybe we could do like an Airbnb situation. Me and Jeremy will come and, and chill. Uh, maybe for like a long weekend. I'll bring the kid. Um, you know, it'll be a good time. Uh, yeah, we're done, I think. Right? We're done. <laughs> 
We'll uh, we'll be back with another podcast on Wednesday night. Thank you for listening and staying with us for this whole. If you've stayed with us this long, you are a true Knicks fan, or you are drunk. Um, we will we will talk to you soon. Have a great night. Have a re- great rest of your week, and um, enjoy the s- scenic sounds of the train going on behind Jeremy's window. We will talk to you soon. Any other.